just want to welcome you to the Empowering New Nurses show. I'm Dr. Miriam Smith, and I am grateful for you accepting the invitation to come on and share as an interprofessional member of the team. I'm excited that you're here, and you know, as I do, that nurses, new nurses, they can become anxious sometimes in taking care of the patient who are receiving oxygen, whether it is by the ventilator or otherwise. And so without any further ado, um, I'll ask you a question or two. Um, how long have you been a respiratory therapist? Well, first, thanks for having me. And I am a respiratory therapist for greater than 24 years. That's certainly a long time. And I know I can imagine you have a lot to tell us and to tell our new nurses who seem to be mm -hmm. so anxious and fearful, especially when they have to take care of a patient on the ventilator. And so without any further ado this morning, as you know, we have nursing shortages. I mean, members of the healthcare team, many, we are in shortage, but at this time, I just wanted to tell us, because I know that the nurses will be relying, the new nurses will be relying on senior nurses, on the respiratory therapists, and members of the health team, which include, you know, the health team members are many. As you know, we have the doctors, we have nurses, we have respiratory therapists, we have physical therapists, we have occupational therapists, we have um, prevention, nurse preventionists, we have so many and we could go on and of course we have the environmentalists. And so we all collaborate and put our resources together to ensure that our patients receive high quality, best quality, evidence-based care. And so without any further ado, just to alleviate some of the tension that our nurses, our new nurses, or even sometimes our um, seasoned nurses experience when they have patients on the ventilator or on some form of oxygen support. So can you elaborate a little bit of how you could help some of these nurses, new nurses, to be able to cope and in giving the care to these patients who are being ventilated or who are on oxygen delivery? Sure. I will try to do the best I can. I know and, you uh, can. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I assure you that, uh, especially for the new nurse who uh, has gone through all the theory and gone through orientation and now they're on their own, they're going to need to show what they're made of. And the last thing they want to do is to have a patient on a ventilator. The ventilator is alarming and they don't know what to do to silence it or to correct the situation that triggers the alarm in the first place. More so, if it is a time when relatives are visiting, you really don't want to be in a situation where your machine is alarming, the relatives are hearing the alarm, wondering what is going on. Usually they think it's something going wrong and you who should be able to do something um, don't exactly know what to do. It, it, would, it has to be a terrifying uh, moment. So respiratory is a allied healthcare uh, field where we work along with nurses and work along with physicians. We take directives and we do have overlap where we, uh, along with nurses, do take care of the mechanically ventilated patient. 
one of the things that we have to bear in mind that the patient who is on full mechanical support depends on the machine for his or her full respiratory need. And so it is incumbent on both nurse and all those who take care of the patient uh, to know what to do for these patients. The respiratory therapist plays an integral part in this. And so when the patient is on mechanical ventilation, they are in a closed circuit uh, situation. That is to say, they are attached to the ventilator at what we call the patient Y. That is where the inspiratory tube and the expiratory tube meets the patient. One takes oxygen to the patient, that's the, that's the inspiratory limb, and the other takes um, you know, the exhaust volume away from the patient, and that's what we call, we call the expiratory limb. Both are fitted with filters at the exit and entrance you know, to the patient. And so whatever the machine is doing, it's going to be affecting the patient. And as I said before, the, the machine must meet or exceed the full respiratory need of the patient. Now, for the patient who is mechanically ventilated, they have what we call an endotracheal tube in the large airway. The, the airway has small hairs that we call cilia that moves in such a way to move secretions out of the lung and into the laryngopharynx. When it gets there, the patient will either swallow it or will spit it out. But with the tube in the airway, the patient cannot get the secretions out. And what has to be done is that respiratory therapists and our nurses will have to go in and remove that secretion. We call it suctioning. The, the technical term tracheobronchial aspiration, that's the big term for it but let us stick with suctioning. So you need to suction these patients who are on the ventilator, remove the secretion. Why? Because when you do so, you are lowering the work of breathing for the patient and you're creating more space for oxygen to move in and for CO2 and other waste material to move out. And as I said, if you don't do that, the patient can get it out as before. And for most of these patients, they are in respiratory failure. That is why they will need a ventilator. They can't move their secretions adequately. That is why they will need a, a, a ventilator. So you would have to go in and remove this secretion. You have to have basic understanding of the ventilator so you can effectively do this without further, uh, you know, bringing the patient under adverse situation. So you will need to know where the alarms are and you will know to know what the alarms are. And you will need to know that when you are going to do um, suctioning, you will need to pre-oxygenate or hyper-oxygenate the patient. The physician have the right to deliver therapeutic oxygen, and that is anything above 21% oxygen and below 100% oxygen. But you, the nurse or the respiratory therapist, you are at full liberty to give the patient emergency oxygen, that is 100%. And when you're gonna do suctioning, you want to do that. You want to do that so that you will saturate the blood prior to actually doing the suctioning. 
you want to be also aware of the underlying problems the patient is experiencing, and you want to know what ill effects not hyperoxygenating the patient will cause the patient, and you want to know the duration of time that you're going to be in that airway seeking to remove the, the secretions. Thank you. So while you are suctioning the patient, mm -hmm. what actually comes up with that um, secretion? What you well, come up with that secretion? Why you one of the other reasons why you hyperoxygenate the patient? Well, you are going to be inserting the suction catheter, and when you have the closed circuit, you also have a, a, a suction catheter that is in the closed circuit system. Now, this could be for an endotracheal, uh, uh, endotracheally intubated patient or a tracheostomy. Uh, 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 intubated uh, patient. I, I'll explain the difference. So for the um, endotracheally intubated patient, there's a tube that moves through the mouth and down the um, epiglottis into the large airway. And then it's a, a little balloon down there that we call the cup is inflated. And that is what prevents the secretions from coming out and secures the volume when the machine gives a mechanical breath from taking the path of least resistance and coming out. So that cuff is needed, but it has the untoward part of it where it will not prevent the secretions from coming out. For the tracheostomy uh, intubated patient, it's one who has a trach, which is an opening in the, um, just below the voice box uh, and into the airway. Uh, that, that is to help patients for long-term ventilator care without causing them to lose their ability to speak if and when they do uh, turn around and get off. That opening will seal and will only leave a scar, which if they don't tell, you know, you won't even take notice of it sometimes. And that, you have a shorter closed circuit suction catheter that is in the airway. For the endotracheal tube patient, you have a longer tube because it's coming all the way from outside the mouth, through the mouth and into the large airway. So you have to bear that in mind. Yes, you do have a catheter that is inside there and it is by that means that you are going to suction the patient. You have to remember for the patient now who is present with asthma, COPD, pneumonia, ARDS, or, or, or bronchiectasis, they will have different presentation and some of them will have overlapping presentation. And for the patient with ARDS, you might not be getting anything. So you want to suction this patient uh, least minimally because their lungs are tight and you just won't get much. For the asthmatic patient, on the onset, the, the larger hairways are spastic towards the uh, larger hairway, uh, towards the upper hairways, and beyond that, secretions are building up. So initially, you might not be getting a lot. And for the seasoned therapist and seasoned nurse and the learning new nurse, they will know that when you begin to get a lot of secretions, the spasm, the bronchospasm is subsiding and the patient is improving. And now you want to suction the patient, you know, periodically, a little more frequently, get rid of the secretion, reduce the work of breathing, and lighten the sedation. We are staying with suctioning. So the patient with COPD, 
that person gets here into the lungs as easily as can be, but have a hard time getting it out. So you don't want to suction too hard and too long on this patient because you can have a, a person-induced uh, collapse, we call it atelectasis of the lung, and makes it difficult for them to breathe. Of course, we can reverse that with PEEP, but it takes a longer time. Much like you take, it takes a longer time to get a, a towel dry, but very easily wet when you dip it in water. Um, for the patient with uh, pneumonia, you will have more secretions. And for the patient with bronchiectasis, if you land in that pocket of secretion, you are going to be getting a whole lot at every given time because they are so secretion loaded and you, you, you should expect that. So with those kind of thing at the background of your, of your thinking there, you will proceed with suctioning. After you hit the suction button, it's on every ventilator, it will run for two minutes and will give the patient 100% oxygen. And you hit the silence button because when you're suctioning the patient, the machine is going to alarm. Why? The patient, if not comatose, is going to cough. The machine is still going to try to give a breath. When the exhaled pressure from the cough and the pressure from the volume going in collide, it is going to hit the high pressure limit, the machine is going to alarm. The last thing you want to have is everybody looking in your direction, the machine is alarming and you can not stop it from alarming. So you want to do that prior to suctioning the patient, silence the machine. Great. So that if relatives are there, they won't see the patient or hear the machine going through all of those alarms and become panic asking what is going on. And if you don't know what to do to correct it, all the more then they become nervous as your nervousness will always transmit to them. Oh man, you're like an encyclopedia. You are the person with the experience, the knowledge and what it takes to care for respiratory wise for the, for the patient. No, you mentioned the alarms. Now, some of the things that the new nurse might, um, should be aware of, when it's a low alarm and when it's a high alarm, the difference, what could be happening? It could be the, the, the machine itself and the low alarm could be because of there's an air leak. It could be because there's some disconnection. For the high peak, it could be secretions in there and there's a pressure being built up and so forth. So definitely, Mr. Dragon, our respiratory therapist, very experienced, seasoned. Um, I know that the team, which I mentioned before, the different disciplines, the different um, professional um, members of the team have to collaborate to ensure that the patient receives the best care. And new nurse, you see how important it is for us all to work together. It's critically mm -hmm. important that that patient, because the doctor, the physician is there, but he needs to get suggestions at time from the respiratory therapist as they decide on the decision making, say the amount of oxygen, and that's going to depend on the, um, the arterial blood gases or the gases, so that to ensure. So everyone on the team, and that's why it's critical when the results come back. If the respirator doesn't um, pick it up at that time and you have seen it, you should inform the doctor immediately, you know, mm -hmm. especially if it's um, 
if it's if there's out of normal, you know, normal, not normal. So I am just gonna say, I know your wife is also a critical care nurse, and as she I said, is. and I said before that, you know, critical, you have to. You have to be quick thinkers. You have to critically think because things are right. I mean, it can just slip from one, from this minute to the minute and you have a, a patient is out. So we have to be observant. We have to use our initiative. We have to use our, our the wisdom and also experience. Now, I'm, I'm sure that you would not uh, expect a new nurse who have just come on to be just doing all of these things that you have just mentioned. No. And therefore, that's why we have um, preceptors. We have RNT, or um, the preceptors with the RNT. We walk slowly, especially in the critical care area. We know that it's not um, an orientation in the unit might take, uh, say, maybe, let's say, three months, three months, two months to three months, depending on the unit you are. However, in critical care, it might take a year or more because that's how you're going to grow into it. Because as it says critical, it means critical. It's life and death. All right? So um, without any further ado, is there anything you would want from your experience? You would just want to leave a point or two with our nurses, our new nurses, and not just now our new nurses, because we have nurses who have been in it for many years, um, but they will never, they will never, Elder Dragon, <laughs> um, respiratory Mr. Dragon, um, want to be in that area, because it can be frightening. I remember my first time at University of the West Indies where I did my critical care, Initially, it was so frightening, all these lines and all these tubes and all these monitors going. The, inter, in, um, the intensive care area can definitely be intimidating. And yes. so for the new nurse, and especially because of the shortage now, um, we have new nurses um, coming directly and being trained in ICU. There were some years ago that was not like that. You would have to get some experience on the unit, like maybe in med surge or other areas, and then you would gradually transition into that. But now, because of all that's happening, and not just in nursing, the shortages, but in the healthcare personnel, um, what would you say to our nurses as you, you know, as you are um, exiting more or less in a short time? from this show? Well, well, there are two things. One, uh, we'll, we'll look at the alarms and, and, and the various um, things that they monitor and protect so that the patient can be safe. And the other thing, we will look at suction the patient, suctioning the patient who is not mechanically ventilated. So first, the alarms. So you will have the high respiratory rate alarm you do have the high pressure limit alarm. All of these alarms are there for the patient uh, protection. You have the low tidal volume alarm and the high tidal volume alarm. All, uh, so the high respiratory rate is there to protect the patient. If the patient is breathing above 40, the therapist is, want, is going to want to notify the, the nurse and the physician that they will need to sedate the patient for the patient. You don't sustain breathing at that level. So you want to slow down the patient and the only thing you can do to slow down the patient there 
is to uh, sedate the patient. The high pressure limit is there to prevent the patient from getting a, a pneumothorax. That is to say, uh, if for any reason something happens and the, the, the machine is giving an exceptionally high volume, it, whenever it reaches that pressure limit, it cuts the volume off and dump the rest overboard and protect the patient. The low tidal volume alarm is there so that if there is a, a, a leak or a disconnect in the patient ventilator circuit system, the machine is going to alarm and you will, and that is going to trigger a very high urgency alarm, the one, the, the loudest and, and the most resilient, you, you just won't get it away until the situation is corrected because the patient is really not getting any ventilation because uh, the circuit is broken. Uh, and so you will want to go there, make sure you check the inspiratory limb at the uh, humidifier uh, and the expiratory limb at the expiratory filter and at the patient Y to see if there is a disconnect there. Because right there is where you will have the disconnect. If there is no problem there, you could have a ruptured cuff and the therapist will need to do some quick things with a, a syringe to see if when you put extra volume in the cuff, if the plunger moves backward, if it's not, then you have a ruptured cuff and you have uh, an emergency in hand where you're gonna have to extubate that patient and reintubate the patient uh, with, a, with, a secure tube, with a tube with a secured cuff so that the patient can get the volume and not develop acidosis and that the patient can get go on uh, breathing. Um, if you see the high respiratory rate uh, triggering and the machine is alarming away, what you have, you've waited too long until there is a buildup of condensate in the circuit, whether it be the inspiratory limb or the expiratory limb, and now the machine is reading the back and forth of the liquid in the circuit as, as the patient taking a breath. And you have to attend to that, drain that out of the circuit and reconnect it so that the patient be well again. Because if you don't, the patient is soon going to become acidotic. The patient is not getting the volume. Those small little breaths are, are, are volume that is going in, it's really not moving here at all. So that too will bring on a very high urgency alarm. A medium urgency alarm would be like, if one, when it begins to, um, you know, develop and you waited already too long and you begin to hear a higher sounding and a more frequent alarm, it pauses and then it starts again. And if you had attended to it when it was low volume, when it makes one little pum pum sound and goes away and takes long before it comes back, then it would not have developed into a medium or a high urgency alarm. So you want to know that the sound of the various alarms to will tell you that it's a matter that of urgency or not so urgent. But you want to still walk over whenever you hear an alarm to see what is going on. Now, suctioning the patient who is not on the ventilator, you have to be mindful that you have to maintain the sterile technique. Now, this could be a tracheostomy patient who is off the ventilator or this could be a patient who is not trach at all or vented. For the patient, 
uh, was you have to remember, as I said, to maintain the sterile technique. That is to say, whatever is below the epigadis wants to remain sterile, and you don't want to be the medium to introduce um, foreign matter that could start an infection that will lead to a pneumonia and even lead to the patient having to be placed on a machine or anything like that. So you always want to make sure the tip of the catheter that you're going to use is not going to touch anything, no bed clothes, no anything else, while you insert it down that um, tracheostomy tube. And when it gets out, you do you you hold on to the the the, the catheter with the the you change around the hands, and you will make sure that at whatever you're doing. Because you're also going to have to hyperoxygenate and pre-oxygenate the patient. You're going to be doing that with the other hand, where you, you will learn the skill over time to mm -hmm. use the, the, the humble bag, we call it, the manual resuscitator to hyperoxygenate the patient and then suction the patient. And you want to dip the tip again in the, in the saline solution that you will have there to flush it out so that when you go back in here, based on what you've seen, and always look for anything pink, or reddish, you, it's like the, the, the distal end of the catheter is touching the same spot. We call that mucosal trauma. You want to suction the patient less or use a different tipped uh, suction catheter. For the patient who is not on the ventilator, not trach, you're going to be doing uh, nasal suctioning. You have to get the nasal trumpet in, and there's a technique to do that. You got to get it in um, that soluble solution have the patient swallow, get it in so that you can suction the patient, suction the back of the throat with a flexible catheter that will, you will run again through that soluble secretions. You will be using the Yonkaha for oral secretions and for deeper in the laryngopharynx. You'll go through the nasal um, uh, pharynx through that, uh, the catheter you've inserted suction the patient and always flushing the patient and always always remembering to maintain the sterile technique thank you so much thank you so much as i said before you are such a resourceful person on the team on the team but before we leave as we are about to i just want you to recap a little bit or reflect a little on your experience during the COVID time, just maybe a few sentences. What was it like for you? And what, what, what is happening right now? Just in a nutshell. Well, uh, with the onset of COVID, I remembered I was at work, it was a Sunday, and we had our first suspect patient, um, a physician and his wife visited China, came back, and they were having symptoms that they thought were uh, COVID symptoms. They were treated and sent home and good for them. It was a false alarm. It was not COVID. But by the next weekend, we had three cases and we begin to buckle down. We begin to um, get a large number of machines and anticipate the worst. Uh, I was there and I watched. We were overwhelmed. We had more patients than the hospital uh, could manage. And we were, we are built to accommodate 1,200 patients. And now we, and then we had to uh, begin to convert the cafeteria space into makeshift 
um, you know, unit. care mm -hmm. units. And we got to employ people from all over uh, where the, the, the uh, infection was low so that they could help us out. It was overwhelming, uh, but we managed through and uh, it was ongoing. We employ the prone position so that, you know, patient could have more of their lungs, which man, most of the lungs are, are posterior to help them to breathe. So we, may I just ask a question quickly? Um, yes. Prone position for the lay person who doesn't know what that is. What was that? What, what was that? What that involvement like? What was it like? Oh, that is when you turn the patient face down. Now, remember, the patient is intubated and you want you turn the patient face down, but you also have to make room so that the tube and the circuit is not causing the patient any discomfort. You want to elevate the patient a little bit so that the head is a little lower than the, 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 right. the feet. And that is to help gravity to drain any secretions that are there and to give the patient a fighting chance with more of the lungs available, hoping that the medication that was then available and the patient immune system will fight off the infection. And some of them did and, and, and give the patient, uh, you know, uh, keep the patient alive. So we employ that, uh, you know, as a, as a way in addition to mechanical support to help those patients who were then infected with the COVID virus. Thank you so much. I know you could go on and go on because I know you're so resourceful, but maybe in the future you'll come again because our nurses need individuals like you as a part of it's, the team. It's a pleasure to uh, divulge that which I know. And yes, of course I'll come again because at the end of the day, all the different disciplines are interested in one thing, the positive outcome of every patient. And when we work together as a team, we achieve that more often than if we were isolated. Thank you, Mr. Dragon, respiratory therapists who have been contributing and will be contributing so much to the healthcare system. And we want to say thanks again for coming on the Empowering New Nurses show. I know they are also grateful for your input today. And so without any further ado, bye until then. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. And never know, I might ask you to sort of motivate your wife to come on one of these days and let it be three of us. So listen, thanks again and Godspeed. We'll endeavor to be of help whenever I can, Ms. Simmet. And it was a pleasure uh, being interviewed by you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Have a great day. You too, and thanks.